Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. So um, this is actually, uh, what I'm going to give you today is actually a program I've been working on. And, it, you know, my programs are different. It, it's it's uh, evangelistic, and often I will say things to, uh, you know, to, to get people's attention. And... Uh, maybe upset some people or whatever. I, you know, I don't know, but, but you know, that's just the, the, the approach that I uh, take. But I realize I'm speaking to the choir here. But one time I told Kelly, you know, I said, the body of Christ also from time to time needs to hear this because to encourage your faith, to encourage as far as the reason you do what you do. Why, why do I do the thing? And I sometimes think that when time gets tough in your personal life, you can begin to question, you know, well, why, what is my faith? Why do I do the things that I'm doing? Why, why, why do I keep the Sabbath? Why do I keep, you know, the holy days or whatever it may be? And, uh, and so for that reason, I think, you know, from time to time, even though these messages are more directed in outreach, that even the body of Christ can benefit from what I'm going to be talking about today. So I'm going to start out with a bold statement. Uh, did you know that most Christians don't follow Jesus? <laughs> now that ought to get people's attention, should it not? Okay. Now, okay. They go to church. That I understand. They go to church. But as, follow, as far as following what Jesus said, what Jesus did, chances are they're far from that. Now, I know that people can have an emotional experience. I've heard people talk about, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. I've heard people that, who've told me that from a child, they've always sought after, seeked after God. They always wanted to please God. But having an emotional attachment to Jesus is not the same as doing what he tells you to do. You know, yes, I'm aware of emotions. Yes, I'm aware of feelings. I'm not knocking emotions or feelings or anything that a person may have, but it really does come to, does the rubber meet the road in our relationship with God? Am I doing what Christ tells me to do? In fact, what you see in church today doesn't even remotely resemble the teaching and following of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just give you some example. I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. Jesus said, think not. Now, if you, if you, th okay, why would you think the very thing that Jesus told you not to think not? You know, think not. Think not that I've come to destroy the law. All right? Don't let that thought enter your head. Don't let it enter your mind. And yet, it can be the very thing that a lot of Christians think. I think Jesus did come to fulfill, to abolish, to nail to the cross, whatever it may be. You know, Christ said he was Lord of the Sabbath day. Yet most Christ Christians think he's Lord of the first work day of the week, which is Sunday. Christ said all that are in the grave shall hear my voice. Most Christians think, no, they've already heard his voice and they're up in heaven right now with the Lord. Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. 
Christians think? Yes, they have. They're there right now with the Lord. The Bible says God only has immortality. Now, that's a bold statement. You know, if I, if I tell you only God has immortality, why would anybody think, no, that means I have it? What, 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 what would cause a person to think that? And yet, most Christians think they have an immortal soul that either flits off to heaven or hell, but you've never heard of one flitting off to hell, by the way. No, okay. All right. The Bible, say, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And yet, what a lot of Christians think is, no, the wages of sin is living for all eternity in a place called hell. I'm still alive. <laughs> Forget this wages of sin is death. That, that's not true. We're going to live forever, bad people, you know, in a place called hell for all eternity. Now, now, I'm going through a lot of scriptures today, and for lack of time, you know, I'll give you the reference, but I'm not going to wait for you to turn to there because there'll be all this dead air space, you know, there's people wondering, what's going on? What's he doing? So here we go, Luke 4 and verse 16. And he, speaking of Christ, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, so here we have Christ's custom was to go to synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was his custom. A custom that I think people should follow. A custom that we should do also. Matthew 26 and verse 17. Matthew 26 and verse 17. Now, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where will you that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? So, you know, we're, we're looking at these scriptures, and, and by the way, we're looking in the New Testament, by the way. And I'm going to go through some scriptures just from the New Testament. You know? Well, that's the Old Testament. I don't want to hear from the Old Testament. You know, it's got to get, I got to hear it from the New Testament. Okay, we're hearing it from the New Testament. We've already gone through the Passover, days of unleavened bread. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 8, Paul says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. No, wait a minute. He said, I will tarry at Ephesus until Easter. I will tarry at, Esther, at, 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 at Ephesus until Christmas. I will tarry at Ephesus until Halloween. No. Until Pentecost, okay, Pentecost. Revelation 11 and verse 15, the seventh trump. And boy, is this the day I'm looking forward to. The older I get, the more I could care less about this world, and I want this moment to occur. Revelation 11 and verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So here we have the seventh trump talking about the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, so, so we got Pentecost, we got, we got Feast of Trumpets here. And this is, you know, this is the moment that I'm waiting for right here. This moment. And since 4th of July, you know, I think, America is 256 years old, this fourth. What this is explaining here is the birth of a new nation. When that seventh trump sounds, 
the birth of a new world, a new world order, Christ's government on this earth. Man, how powerful that's going to be. Uh, Acts 27 and verse 9, Now when much time was dangerous, and when sailing was now da dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Now here we have the Day of Atonement, because if you look up that word, the fast, the word means atonement. So we're looking at the New Testament, and we're going through these holy days. You know, I mean, we've got, we got the, the feast, we've got trumpets, we've got atonement. We've got uh, John 7 and verse 7. Christ said, Now the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. I'm testifying that this world, the works are evil. And that's why the world hates me. That's why the world hates you, by the way. You testify that the ways of this world are evil, rotten, sin-sick. People are going to hate you. Go up into the, uh, this feast. It says, go ye up into this feast. I cannot go up yet into this feast, for my time is not yet come. Uh, what, what were we talking about? We were talking about the Feast of Tabernacles here. Skipping on down to verse 11. Then the Jews sought him at the feast, Feast of Tabernacles, and said, Where is he? Uh, John 7 and verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Then we have John 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast. So we covered the Feast of Tabernacles. Now here we are, the great last great day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood up and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So we've gone through very quickly here, and we've proven just, you know, from the, from the New Testament, that these holy days were in place. And we haven't even looked, gone back yet to these are the feasts of Jehovah, Leviticus 23, where they're all laid out in the Old Testament. So, uh, now, what, can, okay, so, so, so here we are, okay, we're keeping, Christ kept, the New Testament church obviously kept the holy days. The New Testament church kept the Sabbath day. So let's, uh, let's go into the future and see what's going to happen when Christ returns. The coming of the day of the Lord, Zechariah 14 and verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we have what Christ said, and we have what's going to happen when Christ returns. He's going to be keeping the feast days. Again, the birth of a new nation, the birth of a new world order. So, again, like I said, most Christians don't follow, don't follow Jesus, what he did, or what he said. So I want to do two things with this message. I want to look at what Christ said, and I want to look at what he's going to do when he returns to the earth. And we're going to see that the two match up. They're not opposites. They're not something totally different. They, they, they match up. <clears throat> First Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ." We are to follow Christ's example. We are to follow Christ's teachings. Okay, so let, let's, let's go through some of these. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Think not 
that I have come to destroy the law, this is Jesus speaking, or the prophets, I've not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now let me tell you how a lot of Christians read this. Okay, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy but to destroy. That's pretty much how they'd read that. Now, now, Thayer's definition of that word fulfill means of what does fulfill mean? I have not come to uh, destroy but to fulfill. Thayer's definition says to obey as it should be. Now think about that one. If Christ had not obeyed the law as it should have been, we wouldn't have a Savior. So that, that, that's what that word means, to obey as it should be. Now maybe you're thinking, or maybe, now again, I'm, I'm speaking to my imaginary audience here. Maybe you're thinking, well, my church, I think a lot of people go in this line of thinking, well, my church doesn't teach against the Ten Commandments. Are you sure your church doesn't teach? <laughs> uh, Matthew 19 and verse 17 says, you know, th this was the rich young ruler that said, Good master, what good thing must I do to have, a, have eternal life? And Jesus said, But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. So I want to quickly go through a set of scriptures that if you tell, basically if you say, you know I, I believe in keeping the Ten Commandments. I believe in the, keeping the Sabbath. Did you know if you tell someone that you believe in keeping the Sabbath, immediately you are labeled as a cult? The Seventh-day Adventists are labeled as a cult. They are some of the nicest people you will ever meet, very professional, do a lot of great good work, they overemphasize L and G White, but that's another story. But, uh, but the, any Sabbath-keeping group is labeled as a cult. Okay. So I want to look at a set of scriptures that if you, you tell someone, you know, well, I, I believe in, in, in keeping the commandments. I, I believe in keeping the Sabbath. I believe, <laughs> I believe in keeping the holy days. Oh, and then, you know, don't dare go to the dietary laws, you know. But okay, here is what a set of scriptures that you're gonna that you would learn in seminary school. Did I say seminary school? <laughs> seminary school. Yeah. All right. This is their go-to. Okay, and this is what you're often hear, you often hear at church when a preacher is dealing with the subject of, you know, you know certain laws or maybe commandments, but here they are. Let's go with this. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And often they will stop right there. And the scripture doesn't stop right there. It continues on and says, But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, but not of works, lest any man should boast. Galatians 2 and verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. I'm sort of putting emphasis on it, you know, right? But by the faith of Jesus. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no 
flesh be justified. And I understand that. If you're trying to get justified by the works of the law, you're out of your mind. It doesn't work that way. It never has. It never has. Galatians 3 and verse 10, For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. What's the curse of being under the works, it, works of the law? It's death. It claims your life. You know, okay, I understand that. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Actually, that scripture doesn't say what they think it says. But if you, if you read it carefully, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book to do them. But anyway, these, these, these are the go-to scriptures. These are the go-to scriptures that, that, that you would learn in, in seminary school. Colossians 2 and verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it and nailed, uh, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know, as one minister said, he imagined, you know, it was like Christ had a ladder. He, he had a couple nail, ten penny nails in his hand, he had a hammer in his hand, and, he, and no, he had those two old commandments in, 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 under each, one each arm, and you crawled up the ladder, and, and you, he tacked it and just nailed that nasty stuff up to the law. Now, what I'm saying is, the simple-minded, the people who never read their Bibles, they don't bring it to church, okay? It's not an issue of reading and studying the Scriptures. That is not a part of their life. The simple-minded will, after hearing these Scriptures, will often come to the point, well, it must be wrong for me to even try to obey God's laws. I must be in error even trying to do this. But that's the go-to scriptures. That's what they're going to hit you with often, again and again and again. So we're going to look at two. We're going to do two things. We're going to look at what Christ said and what is going, what He is going to do when He returns to this earth. Okay. So we looked at this one. Think not that I have come to destroy the law. Matthew five and verse eighteen. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Has heaven and earth passed away? You know, we could go out there and look and see for a moment. You know, let's check it out. Has heaven and earth passed? No, heaven and earth has not passed away. So let's go into the future. And, and we're looking at this. This is what you'd call the millennial. The rank Christ is returning. Christ has returned. Resurrected the saints. The government of God is being established on this earth. And these scriptures apply to that. That's the time period it's talking about. Micah 4 and verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us all his ways and we will walk in his path for the law shall go forth out of Zion, forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now what's beautiful about this is that this is talking about what's occurring here is true conversion. You know, it is talking about peoples, nations, accepting Christ as their personal Savior, accepting the rule of God in their life, accepting the Spirit of God, Conversion of nations. Man, that, that, this is beautiful. The birth of a new nation, the birth of a new world order, the government of God on this earth. 
and the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And notice the eagerness of people saying, Come, let us go up and learn. Man, I love that. Man, I, you know, so we're looking at what Christ said and what's going to happen when he returns. It's one of the same thing, you know, is, I change not, Christ said. Matthew 12 and verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. That's what Christ said. Which day is the Lord's day? Which day did Jesus say he is Lord of? Sabbath day. Yeah, yeah. Isaiah 66 and verse 22. Again, this is, well, it tells us. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. Powerful statement. Powerful statement about the Lord's day, the real Lord's day, the Sabbath day. All flesh shall come to worship before me. John 5 and verse 28. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which that all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So we look at what Christ said. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Christ, you know, Christ is going to resurrect the dead. All right, let's take a look at Daniel 12 and verse 2, talking about the end time. You know, Daniel is a book that goes through the whole uh, synopsis of the history of mankind. And it ends with the kingdom of God coming to this earth and putting down all other forms of, you know, government. Daniel 12 and verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is exactly what Christ said. Exactly the same thing. Exactly what's going to happen when he returns. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16 says, Speaking of God, who only has immortality dwelling in the light, no man can approach unto you, unto, notice that, no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now I want to take just, just, a moment here to explain the convoluted teaching of the immortality of the soul. What a lot of people believe is that they, you're born with an immortal soul. And if you're a good boy, that immortal soul goes to heaven when you die. If you are a bad boy, <laughs> that immortal soul goes to hell. And you see, this is what's disturbing to me. What gives hell its power of the concept that you burn and burn and burn and burn forever and can't burn up is the teaching of the immortality of the soul. You've got something immortal about you that cannot be destroyed. And that's why hell, people believe, false concept, it's a ab I think that concept comes directly. You know, the first lie Satan ever told is, you shall not surely die. It was a teaching of the immortality of the soul. And so I think that that whole concept comes from the pit of hell, that teaching that has caused incredible pain and suffering from people. 
So the, the concept is a lot. You know, why would God promise something? And immortality is something we're seeking for. It's something that we want. But why would God promise us something that you already have? If you already have it, why would we be seeking for immortality? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, what we are now, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then, and only then, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. What a powerful time that will be. So uh, who does God grant immortality to? When does he grant it? Well, we already discovered that at the resurrection. But who does God grant immortality to? Well, Romans 8 and verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, that's Romans 8 and verse 11, excuse me, Romans 8 and verse 11, But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal, what we have now, bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So how critical is it to have the Spirit of God? Well, very critical. Very things is going to quicken, quicken our mortal bodies. Okay, continuing on. Jesus said, no man has ascended to heaven. Now, if, if you ever point that out, what you will hear is this. Well, no man has ascended to heaven, but their soul goes to heaven. So, yeah. And we've just debunked the concept of the immortality of the soul. I mean, you, you, you've got to believe in the immortality of the soul to even believe that. So, uh, I want to talk about heaven on earth. Would you settle for heaven on earth? Daniel 2 and verse 23. Again, uh, this is powerful prophecy about what is coming to this earth. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone, this is Christ Jesus, that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Christ is coming to this earth. His kingdom is coming to this earth. Isaiah 11 and verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Revelation 5 and verse 10. And has made us unto our gods kings and priests and we shall reign in heaven. Now, we shall reign on the earth. <laughs> you know, consider this. Heaven doesn't need fixing. Not anything wrong with it. Heaven doesn't need, I mean, the problems are right here. <laughs> this is where, this is what needs, our society is what needs fixing. And I've often thought that, you know, I, to me, heavenly retirement is a cop-out. It's a cop-out. Okay, what Christ said, 
and we're looking at what, is going to, what he is going to do when he returns to this earth. What will he teach? What will his customs be? So we don't see when Christ returns that the law is abolished, do we? No. We, said, we see that Jesus said, think, don't even think that. Uh, we don't see when Christ returned the first work day of the week made holy. No, we see the Sabbath day. We don't see when Christ returns that all are in heaven. No, Jesus said, all that are in the grave shall hear my voice. We don't see when, you know, when Christ returns that man is already in heaven. Jesus said, no man is ascended to heaven. We don't see souls in heaven or hell. We find that God only has immortality. When Christ returns, we don't see Easter, Halloween, Christmas being celebrated. We see the Feast of Jehovah being celebrated when Christ returns. One last thing. Someone commented on my, one of my videos about hell. They said, hell is forever. People like that concept of hell, by the way. They really do. Some people like the idea of people burning forever. I, I can't wrap my mind. Maybe they had a bad experience. I don't know. But anyway, but the wages of sin is death, not eternal life in hell. There is a second death. And the second death is the end of you. Not being tormented or tortured. It's just the end of your existence. All right, the great day of the Lord, Malachi 4 and verse 1. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. Again, this is talking about the future coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Uh, behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that, shall, that it shall neither leave them root nor branch. Skipping on down to verse 4, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Ashes under the soles of your feet. No, we're not talking about immortal ashes. You know, sometimes, sometimes you think about, you know, you burn in a big brush pile. You ever you ever watched an ash sort of just float around, start to float up to the heavens, and you know, and you think that was old Uncle Bob that he wasn't no good anyway. <laughs> no, we're not talking about immortal ashes or anything like that. Okay, now I want to conclude with this verse, Hebrews five and verse nine. Hebrews five and verse nine. Speaking of Jesus and being made perfect, he Christ became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, now this is not talking about, okay, okay, I, I obey God and therefore, you know, I, I've got, what, what I'm trying to say is this. If you have the Spirit of God, that Spirit will lead you into a desire to obey God. And, you know, in other words, if you have the Spirit of God, and I know a lot of people can say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Maybe we should ask them, okay, I hear what you're saying, but do you have the Spirit of God? Because if you have the Spirit of God, it, that Spirit will lead you, it will not lead you in a, into a desire to justify why you don't obey God. You follow that? If you have the Spirit of God, it will not lead you into... You know, we talked about 50 ways to leave your love or 50 ways not to obey God. Okay, 
it will not lead you into a justification as to why I don't need to, to obey God. It will, if you have the Spirit of God, it will lead you into a desire to obey God. And I think that is, you know, we should base our lives on that approach in our witnessing you know, to say, okay, I'm going to assume you do have the Spirit of God. Where is it leading you to? What, what direction is that Spirit leading you to? Is it leading you to do what God says or not? So anyway, that's, uh, I don't have a good way to close it, but that's the close right there. <laughs> if you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.